song is based on Luke chapter 2, where the shepherds are told that to them is born a child. It's not ordinarily how birth announcements go. Normally it would be something like a child has been born to Mary and to Joseph, but in this case, a child is born also to them. It's the same thing that we see in Isaiah chapter 9, which we will consider this afternoon. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll read verses 1 through 7, focus especially on verse 6. Boys and girls, perhaps some of you have memorized this passage before, for unto us a child is born. That's what we're going to look at this afternoon, but we will read first the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal, and the noisy battle, and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Congregation, this afternoon we have witnessed the baptism of a covenant child who has been given a name by his parents. Sometimes when we name our children, names come quickly. Sometimes we struggle long and hard over what to name them. Because names are important. And in the biblical world, that's no less the case, but, but someone's name denotes their character. If you can remember all the way back to when we studied the Song of Songs, the bride-to-be said of the king, your name is like oil poured forth. His name signified his character. And she felt excitement at the name of the king because of what he was like, because of what his name represented. His name declared his person. And here in Isaiah chapter 9, the very next book after the Song of Songs, that same king is presented to us and and his name is here unfolded. And he is so great that one name will not do justice to his person and and so Isaiah gives us four. 
Four names that speak to us of who this king is and what he's like. This Christ whose birth we celebrate today is referred to as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. So what I want to do this afternoon very simply is is look at these four names and consider what they tell us about Christ. A little Jack was just baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so as we, we think about the name of the Son and what it means to be baptized into that name, it means at least these four things. Now, first of all, that Jack is united to the one who is our wonderful counselor. This is the first name that's mentioned of this child who was born, this son who is given. It says he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Speaks of, of two things. It, it speaks, first of all, of the divine nature of this child. And then, second, it speaks of the divine wisdom of this child. The term wonderful is a term most often associated in the Old Testament with God Himself. You could take, for example, a passage like Judges chapter 13, where Manoah, at another birth announcement, that of Samson, asked the angel of the Lord. What is its name? It is told, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? And Manoah then responds by saying that he has seen the Lord, that he has seen that this one who is wonderful, this, this one who is wonderful is, is God himself, perhaps even a pre-incarnate Christ. You can look at the many uh, times, many other uh, places, songs in the Bible that that use this language of of God doing wonderful things. Think of the song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15 where it speaks of the Exodus as God having done a wonder. It says, the Lord is the one who does great wonders, like parting the Red Sea. Psalm 77, Psalm 78 will do that exact same thing. They, They will use that same language to describe God's great act of redemption. Psalmist says, I will remember your wonders of old. And so this phrase in Isaiah 9, which which you could translate literally a wonder of a counselor, speaks of the child who is born as being divine, working great acts of redemption. But it also speaks of his divine wisdom. He is not only a wonder, but he is a wonder of a counselor. This speaks of one who advises, one who imparts wisdom. You think of the Old Testament of Ahithophel, that counselor of David who who ended up turning against him and advising uh, David's son Absalom. He was a counselor. And so it's saying this, this child, this royal son, this one upon whose shoulders the government of God's kingdom will rest, He, in fact, will need no advisor. He will need no counselor because he himself will possess all wisdom because he is, after all, that same king of whom we we read two weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 11 where it says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will rest upon him. This promised child will be wise beyond measure with the very wisdom of God. 
uh, Gerard Van Groningen and his, his uh, massive work on this messianic theme throughout the Old Testament, all these, these different passages like this that speak of the Messiah, he, he says uh, that, that this Christ will be characterized as having a miraculous ability to supply wisdom. There you get both the, the wonder-working aspect, working miracles, but, but in so doing, he, he provides wisdom to his people. R.J. Young says in the way that he renders decisions, he will remind of God, and the reason he will is because he is of the same nature as God. He is God. He is the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid. And so like the wonders that God performed of old, Isaiah is leading God's people to expect that the wisdom of this wonder of a counselor will bring about very similar acts of redemption being led already to to expect something great from this child, being led already to see the the deity or divinity of this child, the great salvation that he will bring. We also see his um, deity and the fact that this child who is said to be born as fully man is also said to be given by God. There is something unique about his birth. He is given by God from heaven. This is the same son who was promised in Isaiah chapter 7, whose name will be God with us. And we see his divinity even further in the second name that's ascribed to him, where Isaiah calls him Mighty God. After that first name, a wonder of a counselor, if there were any doubt in our minds that this child is truly God with us, Isaiah puts those doubts to rest by referring to this child with the very same name that will be used of God himself in Isaiah 10.21. Just a chapter and a half later, it will say, the remnant will return to the mighty God. So this child whose, whose birth is being proclaimed is equal to God himself. And he will exercise his divine strength on behalf of his people. For notice how how all of these things that it's telling us about him, he is for us. Remember those opening words, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Martin Luther said we, we should accentuate these words and write them large. He is not only born to his father and mother, he is not only born to his kinfolk, the Jews, he is born to us. Make these letters as large as heaven and earth, Luther said. For everything that he is in these verses, he is for us. Our wonderful counselor, who gives us divine wisdom from his word. Our mighty God, who exercises his strength on our behalf. Our everlasting father, who pities us in love. And our prince of peace, who makes peace between us and God by the blood of his cross. Everything that he is in this verse, he is for us. That's why it says he's been given. These words are pure grace. Though we did not bear him ourselves, he is born for us. He is given to us by God, given freely, graciously, without price. And so it says then that he is mighty God. Just as in Isaiah chapter 10, that means that God will bring back his remnant by his strong hand in defeating their enemies. So that's what this child will do. 
He will exercise his strength on behalf of his weak and needy people who in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 are distressed and lightly esteemed. It says that they are heavily oppressed. We just read of how they walked in the shadow of death with a very heavy burden on their shoulder. 9 verse 4, because of the rod of their oppressor. But this child says that he will take that burden on his own shoulder. 9 verse 6, ruling them as king. The government will be upon his shoulders. He will remove the burden from their shoulders and put it on his. That rod of the oppressor, he will be struck with himself. And in so doing, as he establishes his kingdom, he, he will bring about the justice and peace that this passage speaks of. Isaiah 9 verse 5 says, Then the, the soldiers will be able to put away their gear and use it for fuel of fire because this king will fight their battles for them and bring peace. He rules on behalf of the weak and needy. It says, I will exercise my strength for you. I will fight your battles. I will defeat your enemies, even Satan, sin, and death, as the child born of the woman in Genesis 3 who will crush the serpent underfoot. This is what I'll do for you. I'll establish my kingdom with justice and bring peace. One commentator says, this child will possess a power so great that he can absorb all the evil that can be hurled at him until there is none left to hurl. He is mighty God. Third, Isaiah says that he will be our everlasting father. Which is not to confuse the persons of the Trinity. It's it's not saying that that the son is, is the father or the father is the son. But this word father is speaking of a quality of the Messiah with respect to his people. He will act toward them like a father. Isaiah is using this imagery to speak of the messianic king in his loving care and concern for his people. Not only is he strong and mighty, as that second name speaks of, but he has the loving care and concern of a father toward his people. Is in that 103rd Psalm where it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities his people. And in Psalm 103, when it says that, just a couple verses later, it goes on to say that his mercy and his compassion by which he pities us are from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, in the context of that Psalm, his pitying paternal posture toward his people is without end. Everlasting, then, here in Isaiah 9, qualifies his his paternal care and concern for his people. It never ends. As we sing of Christ in Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, Father-like, he tends and spares us well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. And that will be the case throughout all eternity. He will pity us and have compassion on us as a father does his needy children. And you see how this name is meant to bring us comfort. Luther said it's a name very lovely and full of comfort for it declares that those who are Christ's are not slaves but children, free men who have come out of slavery to possess the rights of children no no longer under the law but under grace. He says for the name father stands opposed to tyrant or judge 
It says those words, tyrant, judge, are, are forever to be abolished from our minds and all that matters to us is that Christ is Father. Everlasting Father. Furthest from our minds should be the thought that Christ stands behind us with a club or a mallet for only the hangman or judge does that, but not a father. Do not view him as someone who comes into this world to condemn you, but rather to make you a child of God and as your elder brother to treat you with the very kindness and compassion and care of a father. Isaiah is helping us to see that that's what this Christ will be for us. He wants that to bring us comfort. And then lastly, he's called the Prince of Peace. Perhaps equally comforting, this phrase really gets at two aspects of, of the identity of this king. It speaks, first of all, of his royal pedigree. He is the prince. Verse 7, from the line of David, meaning he is the royal heir to the throne. He is the one who comes in fulfillment of that Davidic promise all the way back in 2 Samuel 7, that a king would rule forever on David's throne from David's line, and God would build for him a house and a kingdom that would last forever. As you heard this morning from the catechism, this child is David's true descendant, a legitimate heir to the throne, as Matthew will make clear in that that Davidic genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. So that's the first thing that this name Prince of Peace suggests. It suggests his royal office as king. But it doesn't stop there. It then goes on to describe for us the precise nature of this king's rule. I just mentioned Matthew chapter 1 and that um, genealogy where uh, even in, in the numbers that, uh, the number of names that, that are given, Matthew is, is hinting towards the, the numeric value of, of David's name. He is emphasizing for us that this king is a Davidic king. But that's not the only thing Matthew chapter 1 tells us. It, it also makes clear that this king is no ordinary king, but one who delights in coming from a line of sinners and outcasts. Because that is who he came to save. Matthew chapter 1 reminds us that he is a king of grace. He is a king of peace, one who comes to save sinners and to rule in a different way than the kings of the world like Herod. It's so fascinating the way that Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 are placed right next to each other. We see this king who welcomes sinners and outcasts into his family, and then we see another king who is so jealous for power that he massacres infants. Jesus is a different kind of king. His kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. And that's the same point that, Matthew, or that, that Isaiah is making. The defining characteristic of this prince and his kingdom is not power or wrath or vengeance or the terrors of the law, but the defining characteristic is peace. E.J. Young says that this king is the very embodiment of peace. He is peace. He is the one who reconciles. He is the one who reconciles God and man, as we see even in the fact that he is both human and divine as God. He is mighty God and wonderful counselor who is given by God from heaven, and yet as man, he is born as a child from David's line. In his person, 
man and God are reconciled and brought together. And in the two natures of this king, both human and divine, we see a little glimpse of the way that he will come to reconcile heaven and earth. Luther said, as far as God and man formerly were from each other, namely farther than heaven and earth, they now belong closely together because in the person of Christ, the two are reconciled. In fact, this one who is clearly God is said to be ours. He is born to us. Luther said, therefore, no kinsman, however closely related, brother or sister, is as close to me as Christ, the Son of God who is born to us. He reconciles God and man. And that reconciliation between God and man, between heaven and earth, makes possible reconciliation between man and man, where by the time we get to chapter 11, it will say, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Earlier in chapter 9, just a, a verse or so before this, the soldiers are putting away their weapons, they're putting away their gear, because this peace between God and man results in peace on earth. Peace between brothers. Peace between those who formerly were enemies. This is what the gospel does. This cheek-turning, cross-bearing king who makes peace between heaven and earth by the blood of his cross, this this cheek-turning, cross-bearing king turns us into cheek-turning, cross-bearing citizens of the kingdom who live at peace with one another. The old Princeton theologian J. Alexander said that he is the great peacemaker between God and man, between Jew and Gentile. He is the umpire between the nations, the abolisher of war, and the giver of internal peace to all who, being justified by faith, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This true Davidic king brings peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, verse 7 says, there will be no end. But the reconciling work of his cross will in time bring about the perfect peace of that new heavens and new earth. That perfect kingdom of verse 7, that perfect kingdom that we'll get a little glimpse of in Isaiah 65. The peace that this king will bring in his rule of grace will bring about peace on earth. You see, the comfort of this name, Prince of Peace. This child who is gifted from heaven for us will be our wonderful counselor, the one who is infinitely wise and and uses that wisdom for the good of his people to work wonders. He will be our mighty God who exercises his strength on behalf of his weak and needy people and and takes our burdens on himself, whose, whose yoke is easy and burden is light, who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will fight your battles for you. He will be our everlasting father, meaning his posture toward us is that of a good and loving father kind of thing we've even gotten a little tiny glimpse of this afternoon and the joy of a father at the baptism of his child. He will be to us everything that an earthly father should be and nothing that an earthly father should not be as his compassion and care for us will be into eternity. And he will be our prince of peace who makes peace between God and man 
And even then between man and man. Where we said that a person's name denotes their character. This is the fourfold name of Christ. Uh, Jordan, Leah, this is the, the name into which Jack has just been baptized. And your task then is, is to set these truths before him so that he might know Christ to be all of this for him. The one who in his word provides the most wonderful counsel. The one who has mighty God is strong for Jack when he is weak. The one who pities him like a father pities his children. And Jordan, you have the the privilege of modeling that for him so that your tender compassion toward him might become something of of a lens through which he views and understands God's toward him. And you teach him that this Christ is Prince of Peace, that there is no other way to be made right with God. There is no other way toward peace with God but through this Prince of Peace, this child who is given for us. And therefore, as with any gift, must be received. And so you teach Jack not only about who this Christ is, but that he's given for us and must be received by faith. That Jack must be able to say in the first person, he is born for me. He is my wonderful counselor. He is my mighty God, my everlasting father, my prince of peace. Martin Luther, I've, I've quoted from several times, who, who made much of these words to us, was rather enamored, you might know, with, with personal pronouns. Once said something to the effect of much of religion turns on being able to use possessive pronouns. Much of religion turns on being able to use possessive pronouns, being able to modify each of these four names with the word my. That's what you must teach Jack to do, to say he is all of this for me. This is not just relevant for Jack, but for every one of us who are gathered here today, we must be able to say that this child is ours, that he is given for us. Can you say that this afternoon? That he is born for me. That he was conceived for me, that, that he suffered for me, that he died for me, that he was raised for me, that it was for us men and our salvation that he came down from heaven and was incarnate and was crucified also for us. This is the language of our creeds. This is what we'll confess in a little bit from the Nicene Creed. It, this faith demands of us the use of personal possessive pronouns. He is mine. And every one of us gathered here today must be able to add our hearty yes and amen to that. He is given for me. That if you are able to say that, then this fourfold name should be like oil poured forth that when you hear it, you find comfort and strength and solace like nowhere else. He is your everlasting father. He is your Prince of Peace and Mighty God. He is your wonderful Counselor. All of this he is emphatically for you. So receive this gift, receive this child who is given and find in him and in these names a healing balm in which your soul finds comfort. Rejoice. He is born for you. Amen.
Father in heaven, we thank you for giving your son that to us a child is born. He is our wonderful counselor who imparts to us wisdom from his word. Our mighty God who bears us up with his strong arm. Our everlasting Father who pities us not just now but forever. And our Prince of Peace who makes peace by the blood of his cross, who came to die, that we might live. That we might live in this perfect kingdom whose increase of government and peace will be endless. Father, we pray that Jack would know this king in all his fullness and all his goodness, that his name would be to him like oil poured forth, and that he would be able to add that precious word, my, to each of these names. Father, please give Jordan and Leah wisdom as they raise him and teach him of Christ. Keep the vows that they have just made and all of us as we seek to come alongside them. We pray not only for Jack, but for each one of us gathered here today that we would respond in faith to what we have just heard, recognizing that this Christ who we celebrate today must be ours. And Father, we pray also that his character, which is signified by these names, would be a healing balm of comfort for those who mourn and for those who suffer, that you would bear them up this day by the things we've just heard. All this we pray in the fourfold name of Jesus, our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace.